right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another very special episode of Off the Pulpit. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Really thankful for you listening to whatever platform you're on today. I know we have a lot of guests recently, but we have a very special guest. Very, I'm, I'm really excited to have him. We have Steve Bang Lee. If you know from the title, he's a good friend of all three of us. We know him well, and he has a very interesting journey. So really quick, Steve. Well, first, Bang, thanks for coming on. What's up, guys? Um, it's an honor to be here. Can you maybe give us a quick... Long-time just- listener, first-time caller. Thanks, um, we, we, have, we have like a script that we uh, usually or use to get ready. And this is the most detailed the guest has asked. So I'm really excited for this. But Bang, really quick, before we talk about the topic, uh, can you just talk about your ministry? And, and yeah. I guess a very, very just general, uh, maybe testimony of how you got into ministry and where you're at right now. Sure. Uh, just really quickly, um, I'm currently uh, one of the teaching pastors at Mariner's Church. And I'm also a lead pastor of a congregation bound location, a Mariner's location. And so, you know, I oh, spent yeah. my, my first six years uh, of my life in a Korean church, literally in Korea. <laughs> I still have memories of the Korean church. Then I spent the next 20 years in EMKM context. Uh, it was really my home. That's my roots. And then I spent five and a half years in, in a beautiful Asian American church. And so I've kind of, you know, traveled the gamut a little bit in the Asian American. And now I'm in a, obviously a different stream. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Wait, Bing, are you fluent in Korean? No, I'm terrible. Oh. <laughs> I, I, like third grade level, I'm terrible. Hey, still works, still works. But as you could hear, uh, Bang has a very wide gamut of a ministry experience, especially where he's at in a megachurch experience. And I guess today we just wanted to talk about that. Um, I think that's an arena that, well, three of us probably have attended maybe, but never really observed on a ground level and on a ministry level too. And just kind of talk about the nuances and differences and even the future for the Asian American, I guess, church and, and congregation. Because uh, I think Bang will have some interesting points from a different perspective. But first, the kind of first question I want to throw out for you, Bang, is you've, as you talked about, you've been in a lot of different contexts and currently you're in a, a mega church context. And I guess, what are the biggest differences in culture you observe from transitioning into you know uh from a korean church to an asian american church and now to a mega church uh you can speak broadly or specifically sure yeah so i mean uh you know i can only speak from my experience and so you know i've spent way more time in like the immigrant and the asian american church than i did even in my current world i'm still learning i'm still learning okay so uh and also um i think i just want to define it for those listening i think hartford institute of religious uh research I don't know who gave them the authority to come up with it, but Whoa, they defined bang, bang came prepared. <laughs> I know, uh, dude. They, dropping Harvard. They they defined um Hartford, not Harvard, bro. Oh, oh Hartford. Oh, okay. I just want to be precise. I just want to be precise. We don't care that I'm just they kidding. they defined the mega church as like 2K sustained attendance, both children and, and adults. Oh, okay. But you know, my current context is like it's a giga church, right? It, it's like a giga church is like 10K sustained. Um, attendance. And so there's, there's like a massive difference between 2k and 10k. Like to me, I feel like 2k is intimate. Like you can get to know so many people. Okay. So crazy. I just want to preface it with that. So yeah, this is just from my uh, observation and experience. Um, Asian American is the, the, the ethos of the church is a little bit more reserved, right? Um, I don't know if that's the honor shame, but even like worship, depending on the stream or tribe of the Asian American church, even the very expression of worship, even like song selections are like more slower. Like we don't do fast songs. Uh, what I've observed, like 
in the kind of the big white world, if I can use that term, I'm, I might get in trouble for that. Uh, more expressive, more expressive, like all across the board. Like when mm. there's grief, that grief is expressed. Mm. High celebration. Um, also, there's just a lot more transparency and vulnerability. So like I, I'll have people call me like, oh my gosh, like my wife is about to divorce me. And like just oh, I have a son who's who's you know suffering from addiction. It's like it, they just kind of put it out there, right? It's mm. and so not reserved. I think Asian American, uh, fascinating. The church attendance is so remarkably consistent. Like there mm. are some people, the only times they miss church is when like they're on vacation or they're sick, <laughs> right? And sometimes not even. It's like school. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> the Asian kid but never misses our blood. <laughs> it's so true, man. It's so true. In the gigachurch world, um, dude, it's like new people all the time. It's like, did I, I think I, did I see you last week? Oh, no, I haven't been here in like four weeks. Oh, okay. So that's one cultural difference. Age. Um, in my context, like position and competency totally trumps age. Like, uh, uh, whereas in the, yeah, in the Asian world, like age actually trumps position in my opinion. So, Hey, you know, uh, Jason and Tom, are you guys, I know you guys are lead pastors. Are you guys like the oldest ones in your congregation or one of the more older ones? Top tier, like the top category. Yeah. Same, which is so sad. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, same. See, it's so interesting. Like for some reason, Asian Americans, like even just, oh, I'm going to go to this church. They, I think the age of the pastor, the, the lead pastor matters for them, right? But in, in our current launch right now of uh, one of our uh, uh, locations, I'm like bottom tier age, right? I have like grandmas mm. and grandpas who come to me after the service and they're like, oh, pastor, <laughs> right? And so th that's really fascinating. So they, they, even the older people, it's not just in the staff, but even the congregation, the older folk treat you with the position regardless of your age dude a hundred percent i see i see a hundred percent yeah i think uh one, one quick thing also just le leadership culture man in the giga church world things are so much faster like decisions are made quicker e even like the uh <laughs> the leadership meetings just the processing of information the way like it's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah okay, oh okay i oh, got it got it okay let, let's go but in, in the previous world that I was from, it was like everything felt like it was going a bit slower. And so just the, the speed is, is, is a lot faster. I'm not saying it's better of, or worse. It's just differences. Huh. That's kind of counterintuitive because I, I think I would have thought like in a mega church, you know, with, you know, maybe the bureaucracy or like l the processes and the levels you have to go through to, to make a decision. I would think that things, you know, there would be a lot of bottlenecking, but maybe... Uh, maybe it's the opposite, you know. Um, so implementation can be bottlenecked, right? So even if a decision is made, sometimes the implementation of that can take a long time. But depending on the structure of the org, things can be made very quickly. Yeah, mm -hmm. decisions can be made rather. Do you quickly. think that's the case because, like, in the smaller mid-site churches, the stakeholders are a little more clear versus in mega churches, it's not as clear. Like the stakeholders. I think that's part of it. Uh, depending on the decision that you have to make, you have to consider which stakeholders should even be in the room, right? And so there might be yeah. extra layers. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of it. Hmm. So, I mean, it sounds, I mean, even that small tidbit that we could jump into different directions, but I guess before we do, to make it a little more personal, is there any, you know, you don't, you don't get too specific, but any like crazy moment or like memorable moment when you transition, you're like, oh, like, this is different. Like, is there any moment that sticks out to you from your transition? 
Yeah, just uh, just a couple of, uh, that come to mind. Because, you know, my transition wasn't even just a cultural transition. It was also a, a transition of scale. Like I, I had never stepped into an environment this big, mm. right? And so I think a couple, like even just on a positive end is like, I remember the first weekend where I was introduced like before the entire church, you know, the senior pastor introduced me and handed me the mic and I actually got to share, which is a huge honor. And it was like an out-of-body experience. I'm like, okay, there's like 3,000 people in this room and we're going to do this a couple more times, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and even preaching for the first time at church, that was super memorable. Um, I think just if I could even just be more personal um, and just open up a little bit more, I, I this is super humbling, right? But I remember um, the first time someone on staff was like, he said, where are you from? And I, and I was like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I came in with like so much, like, I was bad, like a little bit of suspicion and like chip, like a chip on my shoulders. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to be like that quiet Asian American. And so I was like, what do you mean? And, and she was like, no, I was just, like, where'd you grow up? And I was like, what do you mean? No, no. You know? <laughs> and so, uh, I obviously loosened up and relaxed, but they're like, they're like, dang, I Asian, had that moment. Asians are mean, man. Why do you so mean? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I walked back to my office and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> another one um, is even before, like I did anything for the church, I, I went to a pastor's retreat. Right. And it mm. was um, like, man, 40 pastors and Man, this is kind of embarrassing. You know, when you're kind of in the Asian American world and you feel like, hey, like people kind of know who you are. You, you're, not, you're not like people kind of know your name a little bit. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I didn't realize how much you can actually drink the Kool-Aid, you know, of that like, oh, yes, yes, you know. And then going into this pastor's retreat where the, like I'm at the bottom now and hmm. none of these pastors even know who I am. They're like, hey, like what what church? it was the Asian American, what, like describe that. It was just so <laughs> humbling. It was so humbling and almost like, um, I felt like God was really uprooting and revealing certain idols that I, I didn't even realize that I was like swallowing, you know? And so, yeah, that, that was a, a wake up moment. Um, I, I guess, I guess speaking of, you know, pastors being known and, you know, uh, I, I guess a question I have that I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot and I would say that probably some of our listeners have been thinking about, you know, like given the recent rise and fall of, of a lot of high profile celebrity pastors, um, I do think there is a sense in which mega, the, the mega church model is probably under a microscope right now. Um, you know, that, you know, I think a, a question I get a lot is that, you know, is there something about the machine like nature of mega churches um, that at some point become too big to fail, you know, that often leads to um, people needing to protect those who keep that church successful, you know, at all costs, you know, that perhaps lead to some of these scandals. Would love for you to kind of speak on that a bit and, and as well as talk about ways that maybe your church has addressed this or is addressing this currently. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that question, Jason. I think it's still prevalent today and it's going to be ongoing. It's going to be an ongoing issue. We're going to see more and more, I think, unfortunately. So, man, I'm going to refer to, I'm going to use this statement a lot, but I think it boils down so much to the culture of the church, right? So for example, like, dude, there could be a small church with a personality driven culture, right? Like we, we know of churches like that. So I, I do think, yes, the scale of the mega church, it, it just plays a factor, but, but, but. 
um, there are personality driven mega churches where it's like, oh my gosh, like the end all be all really is it's the guy, like, this is the guy and everything's going to rise and fall with him. And so I think in that case, it's so, uh, protecting, covering up, it can become that much more prevalent, but where a culture, even if it's large, if there's a strong team teaching, Hey, I'm not personal. Like for example, uh, my context right now, no one knows the predecessor, even though he was the pastor that built the church by the grace of God from like 300 to like 7,000, no one knows his name. So I think that's an example of someone who their scale, but it wasn't personality driven, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that, that answers your question, but yeah. Yeah. Like what, that's interesting to me because at least in my mind, I, I thought all mega gig churches the, the draw was personality usually, right? But I guess for your context, it's different. I guess for you, like, what do you see as, what are the factors that bring people into these gig churches? What, some of it could be personality, but I guess for you, it's a little different. It's just like the church culture that's more attracted to, to the masses. Yeah, so it, I think of two things. One, I, I think some people find the anonymity, which some of us may... Like that's one of the weaknesses of the mega giga church, sure, right? Like sure. you can just walk in and walk out and you don't even have to find community for 10 years if you don't want to. And that's true. Hmm. But the advantage of the, the other side of that, the counterpoint is if you blow up your life, like you just got a divorce or if you're, um, if you're a celebrity, if you're a professional athlete, um, like some of you guys know this, like Rob Polinka attends Mariners. Hey. Like, please Lakers make it to the playoffs. Um, if you're, if, if you're in a, in a season or life stage where you need some more anonymity and that's, what's going to require that's what's necessary for safety to step into a church. That's where I think the mega church can be such a great draw. Mm -hmm. The other point is, I think, um, just the sheer, um, resources, like for example, if someone comes and says, oh my gosh, I, I am desperately in need of, like, I need this. I, I, I need some materials for my kids. Yeah. That's where the sheer just resourcing of the mega church, you can steward certain things to benefit the local community. So, mm. yeah. So a couple of quick questions I have for you, because I think these are the common criticisms I hear about mega churches. It's not community, it's consumeristic. It's not theological, it's superficial or shallow. And it's not truly diverse, it's actually super white. Do you feel like those are true criticisms that have nuance obviously too? Or do you feel like those are totally wrong? Like what do you feel when you kind of hear those major criticisms against mega church structure? Yeah, I mean, I think depending on the mega church, those criticisms are legit, hmm. for sure, absolutely. But you think it's more so because of the size that makes it where that just kind of happens, where you kind of have to, you can't be as robust theologically. You have to be a little more general, for example, or you have to be a little bit more reaching to the masses and not make this tight knit community. Like, do you think it's more the size of it? Like, what do you think kind of causes those things to kind of happen across the board with a lot of large churches? Yeah, I think it's, I think it boils down to intentionality. I, I think that that's where the ministry, that's where the theology that drives the philosophy, that drives the practice ultimately shows up in real time so you know like guys we, we've seen small churches where people are like i can't find community um in the same way i 
dude, it is so easy to be a mega church and actually be like, dude, we, we, we've built a machine. We can't drive people towards community. Like we just cannot do it. So we're, we're just going to pour all of our energy into this weekend experience and make it like our, we're going to make our experience better than everyone else's experience. That's going to be our unique advantage. But, uh, or, or you can say, no, 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 no. We, we affirm this theologically. And so this is how we're going to implement this philosophically. And then we're going to, we're going to drive it to the smallest detail in our calendar planning, our preaching calendar, uh, the announcements and the invitations that we push. And we're, we're going to develop leaders to be small group leaders. And so I really think it boils down again to culture and what the philosophy is and how that's implemented. Hmm. How do you, um, like in that model, because you also mentioned that attendance is so inconsistent and you're getting new people all the time as a pastor um like shepherding people in that context how do you know who like how do you prioritize you know like how uh, is there something you think about when when you think about you know these are the people i consider quote unquote my flock you know how, how do you make those distinctions yeah that, that's you're right and and that's that's one of the challenges right so i think you know like I, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of like, if there was a group of uh, megachurch senior pastors, I feel like here's what they would say. Hey, even Jesus didn't know everyone in the crowd. Like G G he didn't. But what he did was he poured into the one, the three, the 12, the 72, and, and therefore. And so I think that would be the model. Um, but at the same time, which is kind of dissatisfactory, right? It's like, mm, I'm trying to do that. And I have a church of 150. Uh, but, but on the flip side, I do think depending on the pastor, it's actually remarkable how many people a pastor could know, even in a megachurch context. Hmm. And this is this is where again it, it goes back to culture and philosophy. If if the megachurch is like, dude, I'm a, I'm green room, I'm gonna yeah. preach seven times a weekend, and I'm hiding in the green room because I don't want to deal with that one guy who's been bugging me about the same issue for the last three years. Or he's gonna say, I I'm not inviting just my staff to work the patio. I'm gonna work the patio. And in fact, um, I've seen crazy moments. Um, this is not like, I'm not trying to do like a shout out to you know my boss or anything. Um, he's not even gonna, he doesn't even know I'm on this right now. <laughs> and if you're on this boss, I love you. Can you can say whatever you want, you. bang. No, no one's gonna listen um, from No, no, no. But um, like, I, I'll never forget this. There was this moment where um, when we launched uh, the neighborhood locations last July in 2020, he came to visit the North Irvine site. And um, he was walking around. There's like, like 70 people in this room. And this one woman goes up to him and she's like, Pastor, I wanted to let you know how much I, I, um, we, we support you and we're praying for you. And you know, all these volunteers are, are wearing name tags. And he, he looks at the name tag and he goes, I, I know you. You emailed me about this issue and that issue. And th we, we had, we had an email chat about this. And that was just one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, like it, it really is about how much does a pastor really want to get to know the people, you know? And so I think that plays a part. And don't you think it's true where I always feel the, pastor at the mega church level is gonna he, he would be the pastor in a similar way at a smaller church and just like the smaller church pastor he will be a greater it would just be mm -hmm. magnified if he was at a mega church how he relates to the people how he treats people below him it's it's just magnified more in the mega church setting like this you find it to be true a hundred percent dude uh, i mean hey look th there are uh, i've i've seen and heard from asian americans who have left one church to come to another church and they're like yeah, the pastor was unapproachable. It's like, but the church is not a mega church. But again, that goes back to culture, philosophy, and intentionality. Yep.
It's like, are you a shepherd for, are you a shepherd that preaches or are you a communicator that has to shepherd? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I guess to dive a little bit deeper, because you're working now in that context and, you know, we'll get into a little bit about comparisons of, of our, where we're at and where you're at. But I guess for you as, as working as a pastor, like what are, what are the main differences in your work life? Cause you know, one of my good friends is in your context as well. And he told me like, Oh, we have like almost like seven services altogether. Right. And so when you preach, right, you're, you're preaching what, like seven sermons on that week. So I guess what, like, how is it different? I'm sure like the magnitude of the work is different, but just work-life, you know, balance and all that. Like, how has that been transitioning? Yeah. Great question. So I, you know, I heard someone say once, and I think this is super wise. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter what context you're in because ultimately we all create the treadmills. We all, we're all, we all uh, create the pace. We all create our own treadmills. Sure. So it's possible to be at a, like a, a church of a thousand and create an insane pace. And it's possible to be at a church of 5,000 and create like a sustainable pace. Hmm. Um, so here's someone recently asked me this question too. Here's what I told them. The meat and potatoes of ministry are exactly the same. Like when I, when I prepare to preach, dude, I, I, I'm still looking at Zondervan, Zondervan exegetical commentary, right? And I'm still like, what is that Greek word? And triple clicking on accordance. No, you have a researcher, huh? You have someone, re <laughs> you have someone researching that stuff for you now. No, guys, not even. Not you can tell even. Us, <laughs> um, not even. The, the only difference is, about the preaching is I get feedback on my sermon before I preach. That, that's the only difference. But, you know, the meat and potatoes are exactly the same, you guys. Prepping the sermon, sitting down and, and counseling someone who is going through an issue, um, volunteer meetings. It's exactly the same. Writing emails. I think the, the difference is the scale. It's the scale. Like, it's the sheer size and just uh, the need to collaborate with other departments and like, like, what are the sequencing of events? To, if if I want to, if I need to print flyers for this event, what is even the sequencing of events for me to get those flyers? What are the eight steps I need to go through to get the flyers? Mm. How that, do you yeah. not get lost in a context like that? About because on the one hand you could say, hey, let's you know preview the sermon beforehand because we want to make sure that God's people are being fed, or on the one hand it could be we want to protect our brand. You know, we want to make sure all this is being done well because this is the brand. Like, and I, that could become very corporate. Like, how do you prevent it from becoming that in that type of context? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Do you sense that kind of is a little bit there? Like, oh, there is a, a brand that you kind of have to protect more. I know every church kind of has that, but do you feel it even more like at a larger church? The temptation. In some, yeah, in some ways, for sure. Like, you know, for example, like if if I were to write an article for you know a national publication. Yeah, I probably want to submit that to uh, right. someone and just be like, hey, just letting you know, if you see any red flags, let me know. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like, for example, like preaching meetings there, I, I can't think of a single time where it was like, oh, that's off brand with, our, you know, it, it's more like, hey, theologically, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're really ministering to woman well with that point. Can we mm -hmm. rephrase this? That, that's mm -hmm. been more of the, uh, the discussion. Yeah. But, I, you know, you talked about how the scale hasn't changed the grind which, which I, I, I understand, but it also, I mean, the feedback 
that you just talked about. It also changes your content though, right? I mean, it, it might sharpen you as you talked about because you have so many more options to kind of sharpen yourself with. But I'm also thinking on the other side, like other things that you have to be more careful to talk about. For example, racial justice. I think for some of us, like we can get away with saying something crazy on either side. We'll hear some things from our, our church members and then we'll move on, right? But I think for your scale, it's so different because, you know, that's multiplied by like 100 and you have 100 extremists on either side, probably at Mariners, or sorry, at your megachurch context. And I guess for you, like, does that change your content and your, your preparation of that content? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, it's funny. I, um, I asked someone, hey, do you think my sermon manuscripts have changed that much from, you know, me, my current context to my previous context in my Asian American church? Yeah. And, and this person was like, no, not at all. Um, and, and I actually feel that way uh, because, because I felt like the, there, there were certain pulpit um, intentionalities that are still the same. So, for example, like there are there are smaller churches where um, the philosophy is we're not going to talk about, you know, racial justice from our that, that, that's not what we're going to do. So you can go to a larger context that has that might if they have the same philosophy, you're going to see that play out. Sure. You can be at a large context where it's like this is our philosophy. We're, we're going to address anything and everything. And you can go to a small context if they have the same preaching philosophy, then there's yeah, similarity. Gotcha. So it's, it's philosophy is so big. It's not just the context. That, that, she, so culture that and philosophy. You remember, like, I, I remember I heard this in seminary, like there, one of the um, uh, professors um, was, was like, you know, you're not going to fight about theology. You're going to fight about philosophy. And I remember saying that are like, no, I'm pretty sure it's going to be about, I, I've never had a philosophical conversation with anyone at my church. Cause I was like in youth ministry. Um, but now <laughs> I'm seeing like, oh my gosh, like culture and philosophy is so yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. So huge. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I you know, because you see Presbyterians and Baptists getting along. But, you know, when you talk about anything philosophy ministry or even racial, that's it's completely different. So that's a, that's helpful. So with that, I kind of want to, you know, move a little d- different direction. Um, obviously, you're in a very different context than, than us right now. And I guess one, I guess, lead off question is just kind of comparing and contrasting. Because I think this could be helpful for both of us. I think there are things that for us, we've always thought about the mega church, but you're in it too. And, and you're look, you can kind of look back to in the past. And I guess for you, now that you're outside the Asian American church context, like what do you notice now when you look back of the positives and maybe the, the criticisms that we could work on uh, moving forward into the mega church context? So do you, do you mean like looking, looking back at the Asian American church world or yeah yeah the, the world that i guess we're, we're we're in right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean like yeah i i think the language I, I don't know if i would use like good or bad i think the language sure. I, I feel more comfortable with is like maybe strengths and weaknesses sure sure um this is probably the part where i'm never going to be invited to any asian american church to speak ever again no i'm, I'm just fine um it's all good you don't have to be <laughs> <laughs> you don't need them <laughs> we need no. you now you're big no, time no. you're big time now thanks Oh my gosh, you guys are ridiculous. Um, so I, I think here's here's what I love about the Asian American church. Like it just provides a a third culture space for individuals and families to feel at home. And it and that matters. It, it, it's huge, right? It's like there are certain discipleship conversations, just even natural ethos that 
like womb to the tomb, it's a beautiful picture. And people, there are still many Asian Americans who they don't feel comfortable at home in their immigrant church or in some, right, like Baptist mm. church down the street with Colonel Sanders. Like they just don't don't feel comfortable with that, right? Um, like even from an opportunity standpoint, I think Jason, you alluded to this one, so wise, so insightful. Like there's a teenager right now in an Asian American church that is getting reps on the worship team and leadership opportunities that he may not get in any other context. And he might end up being a lead pastor of an Asian American church down the road, and he's going to be further along than all of us. Right. And so, um, uh, and also I think there's just this, there's this precision that the Asian American church in this moment can walk into. Um, like for when, when, when the events in Atlanta happened, think about this. There is no other church in the world, like not even just in America. There's no other church in the world that could have spoken into that moment for God's people with the precision and the empathy that the Asian American church in America could like, that's pretty profound. Right. And so that it's amazing. Um, guys, I am indebted to the Asian American church. Like Asian American church is current is my home. Right. And so I, like I am in, there are so many pastors and leaders who they took a gamble on me. They gave me way too much leadership opportunity at my age than I should have been afforded. Um, so mom's praying for us before we went to Korean retreats where guys were giving each other donk jeeps. It's just, I'm totally indebted. Okay. So those, those are some of the strengths. I think some of the, the weaknesses, um, one is identity. One is identity. So, you know, like when it comes to what is the identity of the Asian American Christian, what is the identity of the Asian American church? I, I, I'm concerned sometimes that we, we fall into maybe like wanting our cake and eat it too almost. Right. So um, it's like, we get to pick and choose because we're by cultural, our cultural preferences and then we, so we're leading out of rejection and then we're frustrated because we don't know who we are and we're not getting the attention of the majority culture. Right. And so uh, like, we're like, Oh, that, that thing, that's so white. Oh, that's legalistic. For example, like Chinese or Korean church. I don't know who I am and why aren't others paying attention to me. Right. Like, so for example, I, I wrote about this, like Kanye West, when he did that like church experience thing, he launched with a choir which was like a, a great like shout out to his roots, like the, the black church roots, right? But you're never going to see like a, like a Korean American pastor plant a church and like, we're, we're going to start out with morning prayer, right? It's like no, <laughs> no one's doing that, right? So um, mm. that's a weakness that I see. So, you think, um, so from the outside, you think Asian American churches, they're kind of rejecting both their like Asian heritage, but also their white heritage that's there. And now you just don't know who you are because you're rejecting both. Like you don't want to be a white church or a Korean church or Asian church. Right. But then at the same time saying, why, why isn't the majority culture taking me seriously? Hmm. But it's like, wait, you're not, you're, are we even treating both cultures that when we say we're bicultural, are we even honoring the two cultures that we're acknowledging about ourselves? You know, so. Well, so like, I would say that, what do you think about the idea, though? Because I think there is another question I had. I was going to save it for later. But I do think recently, like when we were all kind of in seminary, all, all four of us, or, you know, a couple years back, I think the end goal for most Asian American pastors was I want to have a multi-ethnic church. Like that was a very big goal, right? Um, I think that has shifted 
rapidly over the last two years. There's been now a emphasis on ethnic ministry and, and kind of finding your heritage. And I think you're, I, I would say you're right where like, yeah, the Asian Americans are frustrated. And, you know, part of it might be that we're too antagonistic on both the majority culture and our heritage. But there's been a push for now to, hey, let's create ethnic ministries because we won't figure out who we are unless we start just paving our own way forward. And I guess, you know, I'm thinking of Crete. I don't know if you know that, but Thibidi uh, Anawali made a new network kind of focused on that. And I guess for you, like, what are your thoughts on that shift? Because to me, that makes sense. And, and a lot of the podcast being formed was my hopes of, hey, let's just let's stop complaining, right? And just like suppressing or being passive aggressive. Let's talk about these issues that no one wants to talk about. Um, and I guess for you, like, what, what would your response be to that? Because I'm curious on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess I have a question, which is, do we find that is identity found in homogeneity or is identity found in the backdrop of diversity? You know, so like, do, do we do we come to greater understanding of ourselves in insularity and isolation asking who am I, who am I? Or do we find clarity of who we are under the backdrop of the differences and it's the differences that frustrate us, but it's also in the differences that we get to understand ourselves and therefore actually minister to others with the voices that we discover about our, our cultural uniqueness. I'm guessing you've favored a second. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, well, let, let, me, let me speak more into that. So Eugene, just to answer your question, like first, I do, I do think there is a shift. I think the shift is more pronounced depending on whichever tribe or stream we're swimming in, because there are other tribes and streams where, I mean, you, you know, you got like Duran Gray and Brian Loritz who are also writing books, leading organizations, and they're yeah. part of multi-ethnic churches. So, yeah. I, so I think yeah. the notion of like the tide is churning, it's a real narrative. It's not the complete narrative. Sure. I think mm. it's great, man. I, I think it's great um, that in the long trajectory of what's happening, that we're at this moment because we need diversity in the kingdom of God. Like there's not one people size, color, size, philosophy that's going to be able to reach everyone. So I love, I love, you know, Creed and, you know, I it was a part of Sola, right? Love Sola. I, I just think it's, a, it's about being compelled by the love of Christ, right? No, no, seriously. Look, look, there are champions of multi-ethnic ministry who do it with cultural unintelligence, right? And overly sure. simplistic readings of scripture. Yep. And then there are those who champion like ethnic ministry who are doing it out of a little bit of bitterness and like maybe even a little bit of ethnocentrism, right? So, yeah. Well, in light of that, life. if I could ask you a question. So on the one hand, I feel like I see a lot of mega churches. They're grabbing Asian guys to become like part of their staff. And it looks like, you know, for them, like, hey, we want to be multi-ethnic. We want to be diverse and so forth. But... I sometimes suspect like, oh, they're actually grabbing the Asian guy, not because they really want to be multi-ethnic. They're trying to reach their Asian audience because they notice in the city that there's Asian people there, there's Asian people in their, in their church. And so they're grabbing that Asian guy to more so keep the Asians or reach out the Asians. So there's a lot of, it's very consumeristic still, it's very token. But I know for you, and we had conversations, you said you don't feel that way in your context where you're just being grabbed as like an Asian face to comfort the Asian people in your church. So from your perspective, why do you think you don't feel that way? Or what's an example of mega churches that actually integrate Asians well versus mega churches that are just using Asians to draw the crowd? Like, what do you kind of see as the differences being? Yeah. Um, 
man, I share that frustration. Like, I do think there are consumeristic tendencies that the majority world church, majority culture church can do that, you know, for sure. Like, I love it when on the website, it says like, sign up for small groups and there's like an Asian family. And then you go on the website and there's not a single Asian staffer. And it's like, I know what you're doing here. You're not even trying to be slick, right? Okay, so here's, I think, a couple of markers. One, um, does, do Asian, does the Asian American that get hired, do they get meaningful stage time? Do they get actual stage time? Like meaningful stage time? Or is it really just for like the, hey, we have you on the website and we can have you give announcements every now and then. Is there a meaningful, st- I, I do think that's, that's um, another one is, uh, can, are there Asian Americans in the highest level of leadership? Like you call what do, whatever you want to call it, the executive team, leadership team, inner circle. Is, is there is there an Asian American that are represented? Um, are there Asian Americans in diverse areas of the church in, in service, or is it just like niche roles? Like we have an Asian American, he's on the photography uh, on the photography team, or hey, worship team, teaching team, communications team. Um, is there a developmental path that Asian Americans are on? Meaning, hey, I have a vision for you. Like this is the developmental track that you're on. Do you hear, here's what I see you doing three to five years uh, later down the road. Or is it, you're here and you're probably gridlocked here for a while. So. I guess I guess the question I have about that, and um, you know, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about before in terms of homogeneity versus diversity. Um, from my experience, and a lot, when, when I talk to a lot of people who've kind of returned to the ethnic church, um, what I hear a lot of is they went seeking for more diversity. And so they went to maybe, let's say, a, a larger mega church um, that had more, um, let's say, compositional diversity. Um, but then they're there and their experience at least felt just as um, like they, they felt the same level of homogeneity that they did in the ethnic church, but now they were being asked actually to conform to a white majority culture. So it was essentially felt like the white uh, church was inviting them in um, under the guise of like, we want to create a more multi-ethnic diverse experience. Um, But in the end, they were being asked to kind of become like them. And so they were like, it's it's actually the same thing. Um, Do you do you see that? trend at all and and if so like how how does a church like move beyond just compositional diversity and and really celebrate and and platform like the uniqueness of you know different heritages and backgrounds and ethnicities yeah that's where it's so challenging jason that's where it's so challenging i i can't think of a a context that has figured that out because the church is more the compl- it's it's a multi-layer complexity. It's not even just racial diversity. There's socioeconomic diversity, right? There's just so many different layers. And so, man, it's hard. Do you think the leaders are aware of that? Like, do you think they're aware of the, because I think, you know, oftentimes can come to our church, there's, it's multi-ethnic, but then it's like, wait, but the culture is still very not multi-ethnic. Do you feel like the leaders that, that you kind of rub shoulders with, they're kind of aware of that, that problem? Yes. Hmm. Yes. It's hard, right? It's hard. Like, what do you do with that? Or how do you tackle that? Yeah. You know, like multiculturalism, let's, let's get away from majority culture for a moment. Let's even talking about pan Asian multiculturalism. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's super hard, you know? And so, yeah, like I just where, you know, I, when, when I hear like, you know, our brothers and sisters in the ethnic church were like, Hey, like, 
the multi-ethnic church is just like a colorblind theology. Like I, I totally understand the frustration. I, I understand. I, I get it. You know, and so for sure. I mean, do you think multicultural church is possible? Because I do. I you know I've always heard of the trope recently that multi-ethnic churches is is something that we can get to. But you know, like you already alluded to, how do you get multicultural? Because for an institution to stand, even a church, there needs to be a dominant culture. And you know, the hope is, you know, you create a culture that's, I guess, transcendent of all. But it's, you know, we live in a broken world. And I guess for you, in that context, that you know, you talked about the struggle, and I'm, I'm appreciative of the honesty. Like, yeah, do you think it's possible? And what are the kind of ways you see that, if possible? Yeah, I mean. I think it has to be in the DNA of the lead pastor mm-hmm. and, and not just the DNA, but it has to be expressed to the point where the lead pastor is willing to die on a number of things. Mm. Like I, I, I might not even end up with the church that I want, <laughs> right? Like my, my staff culture might not even be the staff culture sure. that I prefer. Because that your preferences are probably cultural more than theological or that's even right. philosophical right yeah yeah that's oh, right i agree that's right i agree it's so hard it's so hard one question i wanted to ask you uh because you're outside of the asian american church and I, you know to give all honesty he highlighted this question and said super vague so you can you can say that too if you want but what do you see kind of you know you already kind of alluded to some of the things as the future for the asian american church because i do think you know i think me jason and tom always talk about next couple of years we're gonna be at a crossroads i think the tension that you felt your your rhetorical question or your question on identity is something that i think every asian american christian is gonna have to ask themselves in the next five years and i guess for you you know in a different context what do you see the future playing out um in, you know in, in the small kind of scope that you have um and you're, you're asking regarding the future of the asian american church Sure. Future, current stages, any thoughts? I, I just want to glean yeah. what you're thinking. Yeah, I'll, I'll vomit. And if you guys want to just cut off the recording here, uh, you guys can just do it without my permission. Um, <laughs> I think this is one of the burdens that I, I – and then, you know, I just feel like I need to say this. If there's any um, leader or pastor of an Asian American church who they've seen uh, guys or gals go to, you know, like a mega church or majority culture church and – look back and almost talk down. Um, I, I just want to say sorry. And that is not, that's just not right. So I, everything that I'm sharing here, it's, I hope it's coming from a posture of just like, this is a, there are some convictions that are forming. I'm still in process. And I really hope it's coming out with a posture of grace, conviction, but kindness. And if it's not, you, you guys let me know. But this is like a, a true burden, I think, for the Asian American church that it is forming and still growing, which is this. It's the local geographical aspect of the local church. So, so let me kind of break this down. Like, I think the average Asian American church, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, it's regional in dynamic, but it's locally detached. Here's what I mean. Sure. Um, like the mega church, it's, it's a regional church. It's attracting, it's drawing from, you know, another city, cities, th- people are driving 30 miles away, but it, it's, it influences and it's attached. It's embodied locally. So like 
there's a bunch of people like the local businesses know the church. They have relationships with the schools and the city council. So it's, it's a, um, regional in dynamic, but it's locally attached. Here's what I see with the Asian American church, not, not all, but the, just the majority. It's also regional and dynamic, right? So there's, it's a commuter church, but it's also, um, locally detached, right? It's like, it's not fully tethered to the geography of the church. And, and I think this, I think this poses some challenges, right? Like, for example, like community guys in 33, in like, tw- you know, 33 years of like Asian, Asian American ministry, man, one of the biggest reasons why I've seen Asian Americans church hop is community. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand. They're like, yeah, my last church, it was so clicky. Um, and so I came to this church because I'm trying to find, I'm like, how do you, how are you struggling to find community? when you've hopped to four different Asian American churches. Mm. And I, I used to think, oh, it's gotta be philosophy. It's gotta be intentionality. But I'm starting to wonder, is it just purely geographical? Like you are not tethered. There's no perimeter. Like you, the school that you go to is here. Then you drive 40 miles for your work. Then you drive another 20 miles for your church. And so you're actually in isolation, but you're compart you li- you're living a compartmentalized spiritual experience right mm-hmm. so like a- another point is like even mission right dude i sympathize so much with asian american church and like what it means to be missional locally because um if the- if there's like okay invite your friends to church share the gospel invite them to church I- like i totally understand why the average person is struggling part of it could be the racial thing like you know i don't want to bring like my white friend is he gonna feel weird at the asian church but another part of it just might be i drive like 15 20 miles to go to my church and my friends are not my coworkers are not going to drive 30 minutes to go to church maybe 15 minutes maybe 20 minutes uh and and get this even just dna and culture like the ethos like how many churches do we know where the, the the lead pastor kind of parachutes into the city of, of the church, right? It's like he lives 30 miles away and then on Sundays he parachutes into the church. And so even when the pastor says like, you know, we need to seek the welfare of the city and, you know, like, you know, and like cast vision, I think people are like, oh, I agree. So they absorb the content, but I just wonder if like there's a cultural thing that it, it's just not changing. Like it just, it can't click for people, you know? And so like, that's just such a burden of mine. Like, because I see my Asian American brothers working so hard and like really these Asian American churches are amazing. You guys, they're amazing churches. I'm convinced that some of like the best, most intentional discipleship right now is happening in Asian American churches. But the burden is that the, the local detached disembodied kind of type uh, deal of the local church I just feel like it's hindering what the Asian American church can walk into. So I hope that that didn't come off too snooty, but my heart is, is, is burdened there. No, I think you, man, that is resonating with me deeply. And I think you're, I I think you're spot on um, in general. Yeah. Can I add one more thing to that? Like even the race thing, right? Like, so like the Asian American church can speak right now really uniquely into the race conversation but how does the asian american church and how do asian american church leaders and pastors model 
Like, how do they, because their people are in jobs that are diverse. They're, they're going to schools that are diverse, they're, right? They're, their lived experience is diverse. But then if their local church isn't, like, how, how do they model it? Like, so that's a burden for me. Like, like, how is that? You can be the voice, but how, how is that practiced? And I'm not saying I have an answer. And I'm not even saying that that happens perfectly in a diverse church. It doesn't. But that's a burden. It's a burden. And I, I mean, I think this goes back to what you said earlier. I think, um, you know, this is a definitely an overgeneralization, but I think a lot of Asian Americans, we do want our cake. We want to have our cake and eat it too. You know, we, we want to, uh, we definitely want our kids to um, grow up in good school districts. Um, you know, we, but, but then like, especially this is the tension of pastoring in a city like LA, right? Where, you know, that is absolutely a part of the DNA, at least the professed DNA of our church to, to be a church for the city, to advocate for the most marginalized in our city. Um, but then a lot of a lot of us are second generation Korean Americans, Asian Americans who who kind of watched our parents grind it out to give us certain kinds of opportunities so that our families would not have to go through the same things they did. And so there is that constant tension of wanting a certain life to build a certain life but then but then feeling a great burden for the city you know and so um yeah i think you're speaking to that you know really poignantly right now yeah no i i agree i i, I think that's a, a that, that just speaks to the privilege of asian americans that we can drive where we want to and, and we can live in the suburbs and we can find churches that are, that are more comfortable to our liking um, so I, I think you're spot on with that too. Um, I, I think lastly, like one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, about the mega church was, and this, we, we can edit this out because this is the controversial part. So, um, or at least on, on my end, uh, a burden that I've had a lot, right. Um, and this kind of probably already bled out in, in this episode is like, I think for us, when we're trained in seminary as Asian Americans, we're taught a philosophy of ministry that you alluded to that comes from a white context, right? And, you know, you've spoken how that, that tension is there. But I think, though, that how we're trained as the evangelical church as a whole, gig church to Asian American church, even to the black church, is blanketed over by white theology, right? And, you know, Again, bang, we can edit this out. So I, I, this is, I guess this is already the Patreon episode, right? You're in a place where I think that's a little heavier than, than myself or, or, or Jason or Tom. And I've always was just been curious, like, do you feel that tension too? Because, you know, like you alluded to, it's not the doctrine that really people fight about. It, it's, it's the philosophy of ministry or the culture. And do you feel that at your context? And, and I guess just thoughts on that too in general. I, I actually... As an Asian American, I've actually never felt more like, whoa, I, the Lord has given a certain degree of privilege as an Asian American in a non-Asian dominant space in my current context. So, so here's what I mean. Um, just a couple of examples, like one, you know, we launched a series of discipleship courses to lead our people a little bit deeper, um, past the weekend experience, past our initial discipleship pathway. One of the courses is, you know, the image of God. And one of the, the lectures is actually on, on race. And I'm the, and I, I, I'm the one that teaches that section. 
So as an Asian American, I actually feel like I can step into that with a certain degree of confidence and almost like I can say things, <laughs> I can say things that maybe other people can't, right? Mm. Another example is even like when I preach, I actually find my Asian Americanness, like I can even weave in and out of like, you know, from a Western culture, we, we, we read this and here's immediately how we see it. But from an Eastern culture, we, we, you know, they might read this passage in this way. And so I actually feel like, whoa, like I can, I can do so many things to subtly signal for the church to, you know, like, oh, this is a quick education moment. And this is a, hey, I can even draw out uh, an understanding of this text even richer, right? And so um, it's kind of interesting, but I, I don't know if I feel like this struggle of like, oh, I need to appeal. I need to hurry up and appeal so that like even my preaching appeals. In some ways, I actually feel like I can most be myself from the, from the pulpit in this current context. Like I can crack jokes and be casual, <laughs> right? But then I can intentionally lean into... Um, my Asianness. So one quick example, this wasn't in the broadcast campus, but this was at, at my localized campus. So it's smaller. So, it, you know, it's different. I was making the point about how the sacrifice, you know, the gospel of John's, the word became flesh, like the distance that God must have traveled to come to earth. And the example that I used was the immigration story of my parents and how they left everything behind to come to a new world to be, give me a better future. And I remember in that moment, the Asian Americans in the room, they smiled because there was a comfort to the story. And then in the back of the room, there was an, uh, an elderly white woman who actually, she literally leaned in her, her chair and she started nodding. And so I felt like there was this beautiful moment of, I'm comforting you. You're seen, but you, I, I, I have the privilege of inviting you into something that you may not have heard before. And so personally, this is me personally, I actually feel like me being Asian American, even in a more, you know, majority culture, I feel like I can weave in and out in unique ways. So that's the power of a good listener in the congregation. Amongst 3000, we'll see you as a preacher <laughs> nodding your head. <laughs> we are looking for that. <laughs> that also speaks to, we see everything. <laughs> we the see other everything. Side that's actually really, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, so you, your, uh, your Asian-ness, all the more you kind of lean on it, in this context and it because reaches you, people in a very interesting way both affirms those who are like you and intrigues those who are look, are a little bit different a hundred percent so this is where my mentality has shifted early on uh i'm just gonna be honest i stepped in like i, I need marriage <laughs> i'm sorry i need i need the big big white church to right like am i accepted am i seen do i qualify i'm actually at a point now where not in a prideful way but i'm seeing oh my gosh no 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 this yes. context needs needs more Asian Americans. Right. And not to blend in, like, I have to be white like these guys. I have to press my Asian card even harder. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. You know, it's, it's like when Paul, and I, I know this text has been butchered and abused by, you know, various folks, but like, you know, when Paul says he's become all things, I, you know, like, let's be honest, we're always code switching, right? I mean, I, I felt like I code switched more in an Asian American context than I ever did in my, in my current context. Hmm. Like I don't mind shifting different gears of personality that are true to me, but leaning in more if it seeks to advance. Like I, I don't feel like I'm selling out, you know? And so I, I do, I will lean into whatever personalities, even if it's like more of a minor side of my personality to just let, let's get the job done. So, yeah, but it's tiring. Well- 
but that's another episode that's the that's the patreon episode but bang thank you so much really thankful to have you as a friend in that context uh, i think it's been i don't know a really fun episode to, to hear your thoughts too so thanks for coming on thanks for your time man eugene thanks so much and hey before i let you guys go hey i just wanted to affirm you guys when I think about the future of the Asian American church, I am jacked and amped and excited. And I believe so much in the future of the Asian American church when I see leaders like you guys. And so keep going. You guys are gifts to your people that the Lord, guys, of all the pastors that God could have raised in this time, in this time in history, at your locations, he picked you. And so um, I hope you guys are walking in forward with gospel security and confidence. And so thank you guys. Thank you, brother. Represent thank the you. brothers well at your church. <laughs>